You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Woo! Beautiful weather out there. Nice and awake. Yeah. Oh, man. Glad you're here. Excited about today. Um, ready to get cranking. And uh, as you saw, next week we're starting a new series called Who Do You Say I Am? And uh, it's really looking at Christianity in comparison to uh, the three really main other religions in the world, which are Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam. And we're not doing that to bash a religion. We're doing that to be able to communicate with them, be able to share with them. And uh, so we're going to be looking at that, looking at the differences, and looking at how can we truly and honestly, without arrogance, make a statement like John 14, 5, um, that Jesus says when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to me, or no one comes to the Father except through me. So uh, we want to be looking at that. It's going to be good. Invite somebody. It'll be awesome. Um, the next thing is we're going to wrap up He Is today. I'm finishing it up by looking at He Is, uh, as in Jesus is, um, a servant leader. And we're going to see how Jesus transformed the world um, and wants to use us to transform the world uh, through servant leadership. So we're going to be looking at that in just a minute. First of all, though, before we get started, I want to ask a question of you. Um, if you have ever helped with, are helping with, um, set up or tear down, um, have in the past, are now, whatever, would you just raise your hand real quick? Would you stick your hand up and look at how many people this is that have done this? I just want to say thank you. Um, you can put your hands down. You only got to do that one more weekend, um, which is awesome, right? Uh, yeah, that's cool. And I want to just especially say thank you to you guys who have done that, guys and girls who have come in and you've poured out your heart and you've done incredible things. Um, and, and by doing that, um, Caitlin pulled up some, uh, some of our history over uh, the week, and, and I wanted to share that with you because um, since we moved into the high school, that was April 17th of 2011, we've seen 399 salvations take place in this building. And so... I just wanted to share that. I also wanted to share with you that there's been 425 baptisms that have taken place because uh, of, of what, listen, what you've been willing to do. If you've served in any capacity, uh, and I really wanted to point this out to those who've, who've labored uh, endlessly, uh, tear, setting up and tearing down, because it has made a difference. And sometimes when we serve, we don't realize that it makes a difference, but it is making a difference. You're making a difference. God has gifted you to do this. He's gifted us to do this. And we're gonna talk about that more today, but I just wanna say thank you to every person who's been a part of that, a part of making that happen for every prayer, every drop of sweat, every tear that was shed. Man, it's been incredible. And this is what I know, the best is yet to come, amen? Yeah, it's gonna be good. So listen, this is what I wanna do today. We're gonna be in, uh, John chapter 13, but I want to pray for us, then we'll jump in and we'll hit the scripture and see what God has for us today. Jesus, we thank you for your love and grace in our lives. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that works in us and through us. God, I love you and I thank you for these people. God, we love them. And God, I thank you that you love them even more than we do. So I ask, Lord, that you would move in our hearts. God, uh, just show us the example you set for us and God, then move us to follow that example. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I'm gonna start out a little bit different this morning. Um, I need to ask a favor. I need a male volunteer to come up and help me, to assist me. Um, male volunteer, anybody wanna volunteer? Male volunteer, all of you are just throwing your hands up like, wave them in the air like you just don't care, right? Um, let me see, let me see, let me see, let me see. Black shirt right here. Yes, you, 
Not behind you, you. Yeah, come on, man. Let's go. What's your name? Ryan. Ryan. Everybody give it up for Ryan. Woohoo! <laughs> Ryan thought he was going to hear a sermon. Now he's going to be the sermon. Amen. All right, come on up here. Got a little something we want to do for you today, Ryan. Have a seat. With the text that we're reading today and we're going to be studying, he's like, oh, great. The text is, is about Jesus when he comes and he washes the disciples' feet. And I want you to see this. I, I wanted to demonstrate this. It's like one of the greatest acts of servant leadership we've ever seen. Maybe the only one that's greater is Jesus going to the cross, right? And, and so we see that. And I wanted you to see this. But I want you to take yourself back almost 2,000 years ago where Jesus is the one doing this foot washing. And he's washing these disciples' feet um, who come in, the roads are dirt, dusty, they've got um, animal feces on them. I mean, these feet were nasty. These, these men did not get pedicures, right? And so these feet were nasty. Um, I'm sure yours aren't, but theirs were. And, and the thing I want you to say, I want you to put yourself in that situation. As even as I wash Ryan's feet, I want you to sort of feel the awkwardness in that. I want you to sort of feel the tension. And then I want you to kind of put yourself in that place where Jesus was in doing this. And so, Ryan, this is going to be a little awkward for you. It's all good. Going to be a little awkward for me. But, hey, we'll survive it, most likely, unless your toenails are really long. Then we might be in trouble. <laughs> but, guys, listen, this is, the, this is the reality that this is what Jesus did for us. And he did it as a demonstration of, yes, washing feet but he washed their feet, representing the fact that he would one day wash their souls. And so I want you to just see that. And what would happen is basically when they came into the room, there would have been water by the door. And normally what would happen is there would be a servant there to wash their feet. But this wasn't just um, like a Jewish slave. This was a Gentile slave because they looked down upon foot washing so much that they wouldn't even allow a Jewish slave to wash feet. This was something that was reserved for the lowest of the low. And so as they come in, they've just been arguing over who's the greatest. Do you really think that one of the disciples is going to humble himself enough to get down on their hands and knees and wash the feet of the, the men who are there? There's no way that was going to happen. And so the Bible says that Jesus stood up. He took off his upper garment, which is what a slave would have had on. He took off his upper garment. I'm not going to do that today. But he took off his upper garment. He, he comes to his disciples. They weren't wearing jeans. I'm glad you don't have on skinny jeans, by the oh, way. Man, and so let's untie that. And so he takes, oh, there's a sock. There's a sock there. He takes off their sandals, maybe. They may have been at the door. And he's doing the unthinkable as he comes to each one of them. And begins to wash their feet. They can't believe it. They're surprised that it's happening. They're blown away that the man they think is the Messiah would be willing to come and wash the feet of fishermen and tax collectors and zealots, people who were looking for a new kingdom to come but thought it would be a political kingdom, not a kingdom where the king would be washing the feet of sinful men. 
And yet Jesus was willing to humble himself and set an example for us that we're called to follow. So when we look at this, I don't know that there's another greater example other than the cross of servant leadership. I'm going to let you do that part, big guy. (laughs) And so I just want you to see this. I want you to feel this. You can even feel the room change a little bit as that began to take place. Because it's something that we don't normally see, isn't it? People don't normally humble themselves to serve others. But I think that's why God uses it so powerfully in the world today is that it goes so countercultural to what we know. It's so counterintuitive to who we are. And it's just a powerful representation of what Jesus was willing to do for us. Here's my question, my first question. I'll ask you a lot of questions today. But if Jesus is willing to do that for us, if Jesus is willing to do that for sinful people, how could we not be willing to do the same for others? When we've been cleansed and we've been washed because Jesus was willing to serve us, how could we then not be willing to serve the most vile, the meanest, the rudest, those who maybe even hate us, despise us? Remember that Jesus washed the feet of Judas, the one who would betray him. What a huge lesson for us to learn. Let's all give Ryan a big hand. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it, man. You can go right here, right there, where wherever you want to go. All right. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. And I want you to just see that. And maybe that's a way for you to keep that in mind, even as you go throughout your day, that this is what Jesus did for us. And, and it's such a huge thing. The thing I realized for the church is that many times that's not our attitude. Many times that's not our mindset. In fact, as I've seen is so many times and too many times, as people elevate within the organization of the church, what tends to happen is they begin to expect others to serve them. But in reality, as the, the, the more we go up in the organization of the church, the more we should become a servant leader. And that's what God's called us to be. He's called each one of us to be in that place. I want you to look at John chapter 13. We're actually going to be in verses 12 through 17 first, and then we're going to jump back and catch 1 through 11. But I want you to look at these because Jesus tells us something very important in the very first verse that we're going to read, which is verse 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. See, he asks them a question. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what just happened? Do you understand what just took place? And they really don't. They don't grasp this. They don't realize that to be the greatest, you've got to humble yourself and serve other people. But Jesus is trying to teach them this. And he's trying to give them a lesson that says this. Number one, I've washed your feet because of my great love for you. And because of my great love for you, not only am I going to wash your feet, but I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be considered cursed so that I can also wash your soul. He also is revealing to them in this foot washing his plan to cleanse them. And so he's showing them his love and then he's showing them his plan to cleanse. This is showing that, yes, I washed your feet, but I'm going to wash and cleanse you and make you right before God. And so he's showing them this. The third thing and the thing we want to focus on today is the example he set before us. He says in verses 13 through 15, 
He says, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master or is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He's setting us this example so that we would see um, that this is how we live our lives. This is what greatness looks like, humbling ourselves and serving the least of these. He humbled himself and served despised tax collectors. He humbled himself and served fishermen who, who in, in society weren't much thought of. He humbled himself and served a zealot who most likely had killed people for the cause of, uh, of rebelling against Rome. Um, he serves the very person who's going to turn him over uh, to the authorities, to the high priest, to the Sanhedrin, to, to all of the religious leaders so that he's crucified, ultimately to Pilate, and then dies for our sin. And he sets this example. He says, this is the example I want to leave you is to serve. And there's a lot of places that we should serve. The first one is in our family. Listen, I know some of you, maybe you're in college, but you, you probably still have family back home. Um, for many of us, we're married and we have family. If you want to see your true heart for serving, look at how you serve your family. Because see, they know you the best. It's behind closed doors. Nobody gets to see it. It's just one of those things. How are you serving your family? How are you serving those maybe that are closest to you? The second place is in our church, the local body of Christ, the people of God. The church is not, listen, it's not a building. I'm excited about the building. I'm excited about having a place, but the church is us, right? If that building, if we never meet one day in that building, I sure hope not, but if we never meet one day in that building, we're still the church because we're the people of God. And so that's what God has called us to be is, a, is a, not just an organization that has aspects of organization to it, but we're an organism, a living, breathing body of people who've been brought together under the headship of Christ to do the work of the kingdom. That's what God's called us to. And so we serve in the church. We also serve in the community. We had some people go out and build a wheelchair ramp in Portal um, not too long ago. And because they built that wheelchair ramp, we were able to minister to over 50 people in that community that's heard about it. We were able to go and, and to take care of them and minister to them, all because of one act of service. And the fourth one is the world. Listen, God's called us to serve beyond Statesboro, beyond Vidalia and Lyons. He's called us to serve beyond Georgia. He's called us to go to the ends of the earth with the good news. And I'm telling you guys, listen, there are people around the world who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are called to take that to them. We're called to go and to proclaim it. And I can tell you this, when you talk to someone who's been living in another faith, trying to earn their, relate, their relationship and their righteousness with God through their effort, and you begin to explain to them that, that God came for them, that God made a way for them, it's incredible to see how they begin to receive it. It's incredible, even if they don't accept it, how they begin to be impacted by it because they've spent all of their life trying to earn this acceptance and love of God to hear that he already loves them and, is, and wants to accept them, not because of what they do, but because of their faith in his son, it begins to change and their whole countenance begins to change. And what I can tell you is it is a powerful thing. It is something that will make you want to do that all the time because it's incredible. And we're called to carry this message to serve, not just here, but around the globe and around the world. And it's absolutely a pivotal thing that we do that. And so I want you to see, I want you to understand, I want you to look at this text. Because it says that 
No servant is greater than his master. No messenger is greater than the one who sent him. This is somewhat of a hard truth, but it's very true. If we tell God that we're not willing to serve, then basically we're telling God that we think we're better than he is. And today I want to specifically look at one of those four areas I mentioned to you, and that's the church. And why would we serve in the church? Maybe because it's Jesus's bride. And we want to see his bride be the beautiful representation of Christ that she's called to be. Maybe because he died for the church. And if Jesus is willing to die for the church, then we ought to be willing to live for it too. To live for one another. To give our lives for one another. To not just sit idly. But in the power of the spirit and in gratitude for what he's done for us, we go and we begin to serve. We begin to take the world back and bring back the glory of God the way he intended for it to be. So we're called to get in the game. We're called to be a part of this. We see this as he says, listen, you're not greater than your master. The messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. And then he even promises that we'll be blessed if we do what he's shown. Verse 17 says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I'm not telling you the health and wealth gospel. What I'm telling you is if you will begin to serve and begin to do the things that God's called us to do, we begin to be the church that God's called us to be, then what I can promise you is that you will experience God's purpose in your life, you'll experience God's presence in your life, and you'll experience God's power in your life. That's the blessing of God. See, the blessing of God is not the materialistic things that we get, the blessing of God is himself. That's the greatest blessing we'll ever have. And he's given us that. And he's given us that ability through his son, Jesus. And so we realize that we'll be blessed. With all of that said, why why don't we serve? Why don't, listen, why do the phone calls go like this typically when we are contacting people? Um, Hey, yeah, are you going to be able to make it? No, you got, you got, okay, you got to take your dog to get a pedicure. Okay. Um, All right, all right, we'll catch you later. Instead of, us getting calls saying, hey, can I serve this week? No, we got too many people. Hallway's gonna be full and there's no way we're gonna get people in the doors, right? It doesn't really go that way. So why are we sitting? Why are we idle? Why aren't we a part of it? Why aren't we in the game? Why are we watching rather than, why aren't, rather than being invested? Why are we consuming without being contributors? See, you see, there's three reasons that I don't think are the reason for it. I don't think that's number one. I don't think... I don't think that it's because um, we're lazy. I don't think it's because we're lazy. Because we do things, right? I don't think that the normal person wakes up and goes, hey, I'm just gonna turn my back on God and tell everybody to go to hell because I don't feel like doing it. Honestly, I don't think that's what we intend. And when I was growing up um, and still today, I've always had dogs. I'm I'm a dog lover. Um, and we always had dogs and we had some hunting dogs. And one time, um, one of our hunting dogs got out and it was gone for like two or three days. We couldn't find it. And uh, finally we found him, but as he was coming down the road to us, he was stumbling all over the place. He was falling, literally falling all over his own feet. Um, I was like, dang, has he gotten, has he been, has he gotten, has he been bitten by a snake? What's happened? And as he got up to us, we realized he was covered in ticks. 
And what happened was that all these ticks got on him and as they would suck out the blood, they would also put a toxin in his system. And what it does is it's called tick paralysis and it begins to break down the nervous system. And so we got him and took him home and we got all the ticks off of it and it wasn't very long and he starts coming back and like in full life and he's getting better and he starts eating again and he's able to go and he, he became, you know, just um, back to normal. But the thing was the ticks had to be gotten off of him so that that tick paralysis wouldn't kill him. And the thing I realize as I look at the church, as I look at this church, as I look at other churches, many churches are suffering from basically tick paralysis where people are sucking the life out of the church but not contributing anything. And we need to be checked on that. We need to realize we're called to be contributors. We're gifted to be contributors, not just consumers. We consume of his grace, yes, but we're not a dam of grace and we're not a dam of the Holy Spirit. We're a vessel through which it flows. We are not the end. We're the means to the end of glorifying God in the world. And I wish I could get you to see the picture of the church that I see because as great as Connection Church is, it's just the tip of the iceberg. And God wants to do so much more that you can't even see it. And, and I wish I could just put it in your mind because I see a church where people walk in and they instantly are overwhelmed with the power of God. I, I see a church where there's so many people who are on board and unified that people look at it, take notice because they realize it's gotta be a work of God. It's not just a place to go. It's not just a place to, to be. It's a place where God adds to the number daily those who are being saved. It's a place where God adds to the number daily those who are a part of the mission. See, we think and we misunderstand this because we think that being a part of God's mission is optional. It's not optional. When you got saved, God didn't give you a letter like you would have gotten when you were in the second grade that said, I like you, do you like me? Check yes, no, or maybe. You didn't get a letter that said, um, I would like for you to be a part of the mission? Would you like to be a part of the mission? Check yes, no, or maybe. No, it comes with the package. And when we've come to meet Christ and we know Jesus, this is what happens. Our hearts begin to be stirred for the things that stirs God's heart. What stirs God's heart is lost people being found. And his main number one vessel, his main number one agent of redemption is the local church. And she can be beautiful. And she can be glorious. But you know what? God has set it up in such a way that if it's going to happen, it's going to be because you and I were a part of it. See, this is the thing I can tell you, and I, don't, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this very clearly. No one has ever worked their way into salvation. We are not saved by our works, but other people are. I need to think about that. It's because of what we do. It's because of what the Spirit does in and through us as we surrender our lives. God has set it up in such a way that he has chosen to use us to bring other people to himself. I don't think it's because people are lazy that they don't want to do that. I don't think it's because people don't want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. There's something in us that makes us want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. You know what that something is? It's the body of Christ. It's the people of God. It's God's glorious church. He's made us something in us to say, I want to be a part of something glorious. I want to be a part of something incredible. And that thing is the church. We've just gotten such a bad taste of it, we don't even know if it's possible. But I'm telling you, it's glorious. His bride is glorious. 
It's when she is working and doing and being what God's called her to be. See, the crazy thing about the Holy Spirit is that we're able to rest in God and serve him at the same time. We don't have to be Martha or Mary. We're both. Because the Spirit's in us and working through us. See, I don't believe that we're lazy. I don't believe it's because we don't want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. I don't believe it's because we don't want to give back to God after all he's given us. So what is it then? I think it goes back to Jesus's question. I think it goes back to having a right understanding. And I want to give you, if you're a note taker, you can tip me later for this, but I want to give you some things that if you want to write them down, you can. Some things that we don't understand. I brought me a little list here today that I want you to hear. Because I think sometimes we don't serve because there's some things we don't understand. The first one is, I don't think we understand the opportunity in front of us. I don't, I don't think we get it. I don't think we see it. I don't think we understand what we're sort of standing on the edge of right now. I believe God wants to move in an incredible way. And if we could truly see what he wants to do, we would be all in, all excited all the time. But we need to see with the eyes of faith and understand that God's called us to be a part of something that's going to bring him glory, that's going to, that's going to lift his name high, that's going to draw people from all over, that's going to be a place where, where, where um, people come to be restored, renewed, to give, be given hope when they've lost it. God's given us this opportunity. I don't want us to miss it. Yes, we're moving into that building. You know the greatest thing about moving into that building is there are going to be a lot of curious people who come. And the thing I want you to hear in that is that we're going to get one shot at a lot of people when they walk through those doors. And we need to be ready because God's going to give us an opportunity to, to, to reach them, to minister to them, to love on them. It's going to be a great opportunity. And we're going to get one chance, not one chance to add to Connections stats and to Connections number, one chance to add someone to the kingdom of God. That's the call of what God's called us to. It's an opportunity. Many of us, we don't understand the purpose. Like we don't understand the purpose of serving. It's like, why am I doing this? And if you don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, here's the problem. It's like coming up here and us having a pile of dirt and going, okay, take that pile of dirt and move it over there. And then you go over and you move that pile of dirt over there. And then you take your shovel and we're like, okay, now take it and move it back over there. It doesn't take many times back and forth across the stage for you to go, why am I doing this? Right? And so we need to see, and I want today, I hope by the end of it, you'll see why we're doing what we're doing. The problem for us is not the question, what should I be doing? We're told that plenty of times. The question is why? Why should I do what I know I should do? Why? The third one is that we don't understand that we can't do all of the good things and still do the God thing. Many times it's a problem for us because we just don't realize. Like I can't do all good things and then still have time to do the God things. And I hear excuses too mainly. One of them is I'm just busy. I'm too busy to serve. I'm too busy to do anything. I'm too busy to be a part of the church. Basically, I'm too busy to serve the God who died for me. And so we hear that all the time, but you get served by busy people every week. Another one is, um, I don't have time, right? But we know that's not true because we have time for good things. We have time to tailgate for six hours before a ball game, right? We have time to go to the lake all weekend. We have time to go to the coast. We have time to vacate. We have to, and I'm not, so listen, those are good things. 
We, we've got time for all kinds of things. But do we have time for God? Do we have time to serve him? Do we have time? Are we spending time with him so that our hearts are stirred to serve, to be a part of his kingdom, to be a part of it? That's a big part of the key. Many times what we don't realize and what we don't understand before is that wrong motives lead to burnout. Listen, we don't want somebody to serve. If, if your heart's not, served, not, not, not for God and not to serve, we don't want you to do it. It just gives a bad taste. It just, when we do it with the right reasons, we don't, we don't necessarily, we don't burn out. If we're doing it out of guilt, not gratitude, it leads to burnout. If we're doing it because of what God's done for us, it excites, it energizes. We need to keep that in focus. Many times we don't understand that life's not about us. And so we still think that we're the center of the story when the center of the story is Jesus and the gospel. We still think that, I've already said this one, but that God's mission's optional. When we become a Christian, it's not optional. It's something that we're called to. It becomes a part of who we are. Just as much as my arm is attached to my body, we become a part of God's mission. Number eight, we don't understand that it makes a difference in the kingdom. And yet I showed you at the very beginning of this message how many people it takes to pull off a service, how many people God has used to bring people to himself. I want you to understand that. I don't want you to think that it's not making a difference. You're making a huge difference. And for many of us, we need to get involved so that we can be a part of that. Number nine is we don't realize that God takes it seriously. In Acts chapter six, I don't have time to read it today. But Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7, there's a dispute that comes up between the Hebrew uh, Jewish widows and the Greek Jewish widows, or Greek widows. Um, and and, and they're, they're, they're fighting basically over who's getting the right amount of food distributed to them. And to resolve this, they pray and they come in Acts 6, 3, and they say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to appoint seven men who are full of faith and the Holy Spirit to wait these tables. In other words, basically to be a waiter in the kingdom of God, he said, you need to be full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because God takes it seriously. He's equipped us and given us his spirit so that we can go and do these things and he takes it serious. He wants us to be a part of this. The last one, this is the most important. Listen, because if you don't get this one, if I don't understand this one, none of the others will ever make sense. The last one is that we don't understand what Jesus has done for us. That's the biggest thing. If we don't understand what Jesus has done for us and it hasn't moved our heart to a place of faith where we begin to live out of a love for him and the spirit is in us and giving us this desire to follow him, then none of the other things are gonna make sense. It'd be better not to be a part of the serving and, 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 and because it's just gonna give you a bad taste in your mouth. It's just gonna burn you out. It's just gonna be one more load on your shoulders. And yet, when we see what he's done, it makes a huge difference. I wanna spend the rest of our time looking at that. Because in verse 13, one, Jesus begins to tell us, or the Bible begins to tell us what took place on this night. And see, here's a question I would ask you. Did Jesus wash those disciples' feet and die on a cross so that God would love him? No. Right? Did Jesus wash the disciples' feet and die on a cross so that God would accept him? No. And that's not why we serve either. 
We don't serve so that God will love us. We serve because he does love us. We don't serve because God will accept us. We serve because he has accepted us. It's a huge difference. It changes everything. We're not serving so that we'll be liked by God. God's already shown us he loves us by giving his son. Verse 13, one says this, this is why we serve. This is why we do what we do. This is why it really, what really stirs us to do this. It says it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. That's huge, that last part. He shows them the full extent of his love or he loves them to the end, depending on which translation you're looking at. And and the thing that he's showing us is he loved them completely. He loved them fully. And he's about to demonstrate in this foot washing and through his death on the cross that he has been, uh, or, or that he loves them to the fullest extent. And that's what he's demonstrating. That's what he wants them to see. And the first thing I would tell you, the first reason that we serve is because love meets needs. Love meets needs. Jesus met our greatest need on the cross. And see, the way this works is there's a physical need met, then a spiritual need. I want you to see this because this is huge. Uh, Jesus, what does he do first? He looks, there's some nasty feet, right? Then he looks and there's some water. He sees a need, he meets a need. And he goes and he begins to wash their feet. And yet this foot washing, this physical act is not the end in itself, it's pointing to something bigger. When we serve people physically, we're not just parking a car. When we serve people physically, we're not just greeting them at the door. When we serve people physically, we're not just taking care of their kids and we don't babysit, we preach the gospel from babies up to the fifth grade. And then we're not just just standing at tables, we're not just doing that. The physical act may be that, but what we're doing spiritually is we're tearing down walls and we're building up faith and people get to experience that Jesus met a physical need so they can meet a spiritual need that should always be our heart listen we should do the physical things we should do the social justice but if we give somebody a sandwich and refuse to tell them the gospel and send them to hell what's the point we need to come to that point of realizing that meeting the physical needs is a way to open the doors to meet the spiritual need the greatest need that we all have. And so love meets needs. Number two, in verse two, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And so we see that he's prompted. It doesn't say he made him. It doesn't say he dragged him out. It doesn't say he did. It said he prompted. In other words, what he did was he knew that Judas's desire was to do this. He just puts it in front of him. The word for prompted, actually, it means uh, uh, to cast into, to throw into, to put into one's heart. It means to cast into without care for where it lands. Basically, what the Bible's telling us is that Satan cast this out, cast Judas into his own desire, not giving a rip what was going to happen to him. You know, Satan does the same thing for, with us if we allow it because he doesn't care about us. But the second thing I would tell you and the second reason that we serve is because Jesus has our heart and the heart is the seat of our will. Jesus has our heart and the heart is the seat of our will. If we serve, that's why we should be serving because his love's met our greatest need. Then he has our heart and our heart is the seat of our will. In other words, he's on the throne of our heart. He's the one in authority over our life. He's the one who calls the shots. He even said in verse 14, he says, now our Lord, um, you know, you call 
13, you call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so. But it's almost as if he's saying, you call me teacher and Lord, but are you going to do what I'm telling you? See, our submission to God, our obedience to him as teacher and Lord is the greatest act of submission and love that we will ever do. Because when we love him, we obey his commands. And so he tells us this. He's teaching us this. And he's asking us today, I would ask you, who's on the seat of your heart? Is it Jesus? Is it someone else, something else, somebody else? Have you ever made Jesus the one in authority in your life? Because that's what it means for him to be Lord. Is he Savior and Lord of your life? See, we all know what it's like to come to a place of someone having some authority in our life. And I'm not saying that they have all authority. I'm not saying they're in the seat of authority. But how many of you have ever held a pocketbook in the mall, right? You don't want to raise your hand, but you don't. I have to, right? And so there's things like that where there was somebody that had our heart that we said, okay, you ever been shopping and not buy anything? That's another woman thing, right? If I go shopping, something's coming home with me. And so we do those things. Why? Because somebody grabs hold of our heart. It's the same way with Jesus. When he grabs hold of our heart, we begin to do the things that he asks us to do. So we don't do them so that he will love us. We do them because he has loved us. Listen, serving and the reason we serve is it's a human choice that's made because of a divine intervention. It's a human choice. We make that choice to serve him because he's intervened in our life. He's met our greatest needs with his love. And then he takes control of our heart. That's what the gospel teaches. Verse three, actually we'll go three through five. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, how many of you, let's be honest, we're in church, let's don't lie. How many of you think you would have found yourself more where the disciples were, unwilling to wash the feet, or more where Jesus was, willing to wash the feet? Disciples, me too, right? And here's the thing. They were all jockeying for position. The third reason that we serve and the third reason we're able to serve is because we're secure in who we are in Christ. I want you to see this. Jesus does this. He, he takes off his outer garment. He puts it, he gets on his hands and knees and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Listen, Jesus didn't need to abuse power. He knew who he was at his baptism. He heard the father speak over his life and say, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. That he carried that with him. Is it not important that he heard that before he began his earthly ministry? It's absolutely important. Before, right after his baptism, he goes into the desert where he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And every temptation, if you go back and look at it, had to do with his identity and Satan trying to trip him up on who he is and who he was. And the reality of it is because he knew who he was, Jesus was able to fulfill his purpose. If you and I are going to fulfill our purpose we've got to know whose and who we are that our definition of our worth and our value and who we are and how we live and what we do and where we where we go and and everything about our life is determined not by what other people say but but what Jesus says and it's huge if we're going to fulfill the potential that God's given us if we're going to fulfill the calling that God's called us to we've got to be secure in who we are See, just as Jesus fulfilled his purpose 
because he knew whose he was. The same is true for us. Are you secure in Christ? Do you realize that no matter what anybody else says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Do you realize that no matter what anybody else says, if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. Do you realize that if you're in Christ, your sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. If that doesn't make us want to serve him, then I wonder if we've really grabbed hold of that or not. Let's keep moving. Verse six through eight. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Well, Simon, that's what I had in mind. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. There's a word again, understand. Do we understand? Do we understand? Do we get this? Do we understand what Jesus has done for us? Verse eight, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Number four, and the reason we serve is because we've been saved by faith alone. We've been saved by faith, not by works. As I said before, we're not saved by our works, but sometimes other people are. And so we need to realize that this is just Jesus coming. When you read these verses from now on and you read John chapter 13, verses six through eight, I hope that you'll see salvation because that's what Jesus is telling him. He's saying, Peter, unless I wash you, unless I cleanse you, you can't be with me. You can't be with me, Peter. And see, here's the reality, guys. As long as we're unwilling to allow Jesus to cleanse us, we cannot be saved. Until we're willing to humble ourselves and allow Jesus to wash us and make us clean, we'll never be saved. Because this is how it happens. It happens in humble faith and God gets the glory. It doesn't happen because of what we do. It happens because we simply said yes when Jesus came to wash and to cleanse us. That's what Peter comes to the conclusion of. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. He wanted to be a part with Jesus. He wanted to be with him. Verse nine through 11. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Is Peter not the most dramatic person you've ever seen? Because Jesus is like, listen, I gotta wash you. Probably feels awkward for you, me too. But I'm gonna wash you. Peter's like, not just my feet, Lord but my hands and my head as well. Jesus is like, come on, man, let me just do this. Let me just get this done. And the reality of it is, Peter realizes, I don't understand, I don't get it fully, but I know this. If there's something standing between me and being with my Lord, I want my Lord. My encouragement to you would be for you to search your heart. Say, what is it that's hindering me? Because as we continue reading, listen to verse 10. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean. They're not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. If verses six through eight point us to salvation, verses nine through 11 point us to repentance. The fifth, the last reason that we serve is because even when we stray from God, he leads us back with his loving kindness. Even when we stray from God, he leads us back 
to repentance. He leads us back to himself with his loving kindness. And, and here's the thing that I realized, like in my connect group, we've got most of us who are barely like just saved, right? Maybe barely. And I watch as there's this struggle that takes place in so many of our folks. And there's this temptation to walk away. And yet I watch this glorious thing happen where the Holy Spirit brings them back every time. And we watch this battle going on. Listen, the battle doesn't mean you aren't saved. The battle of this Holy Spirit working in you means that you most likely are. Because even when we begin to stray, God through his spirit that's in us in, because of our faith in Christ pulls us back and puts us back in line. He corrects, he rebukes, he trains, he teaches us to walk in his path, to walk in his will. And so we see this, this, this happening where God calls us back to himself even when we've sinned, even when we've fallen short. And that's a glorious thing. That we don't have a God who gives up on us, but we have a God who's made a way for us. And even when we stray from that way, not saying that it's okay, the Spirit of God brings us back. And as we walk and as we follow Jesus, that veering to the left and to the right begins to get narrower as we begin to walk in His footsteps more and we begin to become more and more in His likeness. That's the process of sanctification. It's growing into the identity that Jesus has already given you. That's what's so glorious about God. That's what's so glorious about who he is. That's what's so glorious about what we get to do and who we are. And when we get to see the big pictures, we begin to, we begin to see this big picture of God. You know, in that, that chapter I mentioned earlier, Acts chapter 6, you get to verse 7, and it says that because of those people serving, it, it, it basically it caused the church to not split it brought everybody back together. And the Bible said that the word of God spread rapidly and that many people were added to their number. Many people were saved. And it says even some of the priests were saved. Basically, let me put that in today's terms. Even some preachers got saved, right? They saw a great move of God. And that's what God invites us to be a part of. That's what God invites us to be a part of. His glorious church. I want you to see it. I want you to get a taste of it. I want you to feel what God can and will do as we surrender ourselves to Him and just trust Him with all we have and who we are. Right now, I just want to ask you, just for a few seconds, I want you to ask you just to bow your head and I want you to ask God, God what, what is it you would say to my heart? God would say, I hope the first thing you hear is I love you. That God loves you. And from that love, I pray that you'll take your next step. today um, it's a little different but it's just been in my heart that 
Maybe there's somebody here today and you really, it's almost like the life's being choked out of you because of some sin in your life. There's something that's just robbing you. Maybe you've battled and maybe you've fought it. Maybe you've wrestled with it. It just seems to always come back. I just want to pray for you, to encourage you, to pray that God's power would be in you. Would you just in faith, would you just, as everybody's got their eyes closed, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Okay, one, two, three, there's people again. All right, you can put them down. Father, I thank you for those who are here. God, there's such a struggle in our lives with this sin, but God, I thank you for the battle. I thank you that the Holy Spirit is waging war on our flesh. God, would you move in the hearts of these and begin to clean out the corners, the dark areas, the places, God, that are just in the darkness, God, that are robbing them. Would you just move in their hearts just just with a fresh wind, a fresh fire, a fresh passion for you, God. Uh, God, I pray that they would see you more clearly, that the thing that they struggle with would fail in comparison to the glory that they see in you, Lord Jesus. Just move in them, God. From the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, move in power and might and blow like a mighty wind, driving them into your will, driving them deeper into your heart, God. Do that in their lives, please, Jesus. Thank you. Also, I want to ask today that maybe you, you don't have a relationship with Christ, but you know you need one. Maybe you've never realized how much he served you not just through washing feet, but through dying on the cross. And today you would say, yeah, I need that. I need that relationship with him. I need to accept that forgiveness that he offers. And I want to be a part of the mission. I want him to be my savior. Yes, save me from my sins, Lord. But also be my Lord and use me in your mission. And you've never said yes to him. You've never accepted his work on the cross for you. And maybe for years, you've been trying to earn it yourself doing your own works. Today you realize I've got to come to a place of faith in him, not just trying to clean myself up. He's got to clean me up. Today, if you would say yes to his invitation, the first time you've never done this before, in a way that meant you meant it, in a way that was in faith, would you raise your hand and stick it up high where we can celebrate with you? The fact that you come into, amen, there's one. Somebody pray with her. Two, two more, amen. I saw, saw some hands over here. What about this side? You're here and you know today's the day to say yes. There's a couple right there. Would you guys let us pray with you? Again, I reiterate, this is not the end of a journey. This is the beginning of a new life and we're gonna walk this out with you guys. Who else? You're here today and you say, yeah, I need, I need that. I need that relationship with Christ. Don't scratch it, amen. Hey, listen, if you scratch your ear in here right now, we're gonna clap for you, so. All right. Listen, if you're here and you know that's a decision that you should make, I'm going to close this out in prayer. And then if you're, while I'm praying, if you know, like, this is a decision I, I, I know I need to make today, just walk out those doors. There'll be people there to greet you and pray with you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for each person here. God, we're humbled by your majesty. 
We're humbled by your glory. Make us the glorious church, Lord, your glorious bride. Use us in a mighty way as we humble ourselves, simply following the model that you set for us. Go with us, empower us, encourage us to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.